Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. In the New King James, it reads this way. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. There's urgency. There's intentionality behind this. I urge you, beseech you, therefore, brethren. That means you and I, believers in the kingdom of God. By the mercies of God, that means he's helping us with this, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Up until this point, we only had seen dead sacrifices. Now God is raising the bar, changing the standard. He says, I don't want just a dead sacrifice, something that's killed and forgotten. I want a living sacrifice that every day you're reminded of the sacrifice that is made to live for me. The living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, that means it can be unholy and unacceptable to God. This is your reasonable service. This is your expectation, he says. And then he goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed to the world. That means I don't just fall in line or I don't just become what's around me, but I I stand out. I'm set apart. I'm consecrated for the work of God. I look different. Anybody interested in looking different than the world? Uh, There is so much mess in the world today. And, uh, you know, uh, as negative as it seems, as, as negative uh, as what's around us um, and, 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 and just detrimental as it seems, this is a thing we have to understand. Nothing changes externally until it is first changed internally. So we can complain about it all we want and we can change the channel all we want and put it on mute all we want or, you know, comment about it all we want. But until... We recognize that you and I are the catalyst for change in this world. You and I are the catalyst for change. The very thing that we complain about is the very thing we have been called to this earth to change and to impact. I'm not here just to salter through. I'm not here just to let them be them and I'm gonna do my thing and at least I'm going to heaven and at least I know God. No, I need to recognize that God's gotta do a work on the inside of me so that he can do a work through me. That's like one of the most profound messages of this church is recognizing that we're not here by accident. You're not here by mistake. You weren't just uh, uh, placed here and, and, and no destiny, no purpose. There's a reason why you're here. I'm here to make a change around me, not just to complain about what's around me. I want to make an impact in the world. I heard someone say one time, you have, the, you have no right to leave this earth without it knowing you were here. That's an amazing thought. Did I come and go and I didn't even make a mark, leave a mark? Now, it may not be on the media, may not be on the news, may not be global, but did your life impact someone else's? Because success to God's a lot different than success to man. In fact, there are plenty of people that have fame, plenty of people that have worldwide recognition, plenty of people that are uh, 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 you know, on the tips of everyone's tongue, but did they leave the mark that God intended them to leave? 
That's the real question. I want to leave a mark. I want to be a change, a catalyst for the change around me. But what he says is, do not be conformed externally to the world, but be transformed internally. By what? By the renewing of my mind. By the renewing of my mind. Did you know your mind needs to be renewed? Your mind needs to be renewed. This is, in essence, what he's saying. You've come into a different kingdom. It's a different way of doing things, different way of living, different way of operating, different expectations, different mindsets. And if you don't change your thinking, you won't change your life. This is the connection he's making. If I don't transform my thinking, then I will conform my living. If I don't transform my thinking to the kingdom of God, then I will conform to what's around. I will just simply slip in. I will just simply become what's around me. And where he tells you to change is not in your behaviors, not in your actions, not in your patterns, not in your habits, not in your addictions. He doesn't address the behavior patterns, addictions. He addresses the thought process behind them. He addresses the thinking behind them because that's really the real issue. You know, so many times we spend so much effort on the wrong level and we fail and fail and fail. And it's a, we talked about it several weeks ago, a broken system because we're trying to address an issue on the wrong level. We're trying to address things externally. But God is saying, if you really want to be a catalyst for change in your world, you've got to transform what is on the inside. Your thinking is where this has to be addressed. And in the New Living Translation, it reads this way, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. So he starts out by addressing the fact that our external living is what has to be uh, uh, addressed. Our external living is what has to change. But he doesn't stop there. He's saying that if you want to see things change on the outside, we've got to go a little deeper. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. So this isn't a a, a Christianity that's internal only. This, This refutes and eradicates the God knows my heart statement. Well, God knows my heart. Yeah, he does. He knows your heart and he sees your actions as well. God knows my heart. God knows uh, what, what I'm meant to say. God knows what I'm meant to do. God knows where I'm at on the inside. And, and we, that, that statement means, even though you don't see it happening on the outside, I've got something going on on the inside. That's what that means. Don't judge me by what you see on the outside. He says, let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable. Sometimes we're working so hard to please man that we never even bring God into the equation. Sometimes we're working so hard to please man and to be acceptable to man. Well, guess what? Man didn't make you, so man doesn't get to define you. (laughs) 
Man doesn't get to set the parameters of what you do and don't do. Man doesn't get to set the parameters of what's successful and what's unsuccessful. Man doesn't get to set the parameters of what you should look like, dress like, sound like, talk like, be like. God does. He made you. He's literally the manufacturer. Therefore, he's defined every little piece and part of you. But I work so hard to please man that God's over in the corner saying, I know exactly what you can do. I've put everything in you to produce what I've called you to do. And yet you've you've never even brought me into the equation. He says, this is truly the way to worship him. You know, worship has nothing to do with songs and instruments and music and, 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 and words. Worship is how you live. Worship is, 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 uh, uh, is a posture of my life. Worship is submission to his plan and submission to his will. <coughs> Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Come on, some of you don't even like the old person anyways. You, you, you don't even like them. Nobody around you likes them. Nobody around you likes the way you talk and you don't either. Nobody around you likes the way that you act and you don't either. Nobody around you likes the way you respond and you don't either. You don't like your flesh. You don't like the natural man that, that, that wants to do what the enemy wants, wants to carry out the, the, what the enemy wants for your life. No, but you don't want that. Don't copy that behavior. Don't align with those customs, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. It's my thinking. He says this, then you'll learn then you'll learn. We, stay, we say a statement out of here, out here uh, that, that purpose is not decided. It's discovered. You don't decide what you want to do for God. You discover what he's already called you to do. He's already got the plan laid out. You are just simply learning as you go. Ever been trained on a job? Ever, ever had to learn as you go? Ever walked into something uh, that you had no idea, really no template, nothing laid out before you? And so, you know what? I'm just learning as I go. Well, guess what? All of us in the spirit are learning as we go. And he's already got it laid out. He's already got the plan. He already knows your ways. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. And now I'm just in a learning process. My whole life is learning who I am, what I can do. That, that, that's my whole life. I'm learning. I'm discovering. I'm figuring it out as I go. But if I don't change the way I think, guess what? I'm going to learn the wrong patterns. I'm going to learn the wrong habits. I'm going to learn the wrong plan, the wrong, the wrong ideas. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing Imperfect. I believe it was Kenneth E. Hagin that said this. He said, The most dangerous thing to a man, to a believer, is an uncontrolled thought life. The most dangerous, the greatest hindrance in the life of a believer is an unruled thought life. Thought life. 
Everything that we work out, walk out, live out, talk out is a result initially of a thought. And so this is the problem, is we want to address our actions, and we want to address our behavior, and we want to address uh, the symptoms, if you will. But God is saying, until you address the thoughts that produce those actions, that produce those patterns, that produce that behavior, you'll never get anywhere. Too many believers live frustrated lives from challenging or confronting issues on the wrong level. Too many, I see too many frustrated Christians. Frustrated Christians that pray to prayer. Frustrated Christians that believe God. Frustrated Christians that go to church. Frustrated Christians that read their Bible. Frustrated Christians that the actions don't change you. It's the thoughts behind the actions. You wear yourself out day after day and week after week and month after month trying to stop something. And you might even get good at it for 15 days, 30 days, 90 days, 12 months. But eventually, unless you address the issue on the correct level, it will pop back up because you're feeding something that's fueling something else. I'm feeding my thoughts and in turn, my thoughts are fueling my actions. And we wonder, why can't I kick this? Why can't I beat this? Why can't I stop this? Why can't I quit this? No. We've got to address the right thing on the right level. And this is the thing about your thought life. It's yours. It's yours to manage. It's under your management. Your thought life is no one else's responsibility. It's not your husband's. It's not your wife's. It's not your bosses, it's not your kids, it's not your pastors. Your thought life is nobody else's responsibility but your own. You are the one that will stand and stand accountable, be held accountable for a thought life that was either maintained or mismanaged. So the question really is, is how can I take care of my thoughts? And when I take care of my thought life, when I learn to rule and control and manage my thoughts properly, in turn, my lifestyle, my actions, my behavior will begin to adjust. That's where I will begin to see results in my life is if I address the issue on the correct level. Ephesians chapter four. In Ephesians chapter four, Paul writes, I love the book of Ephesians. I believe that every believer, uh, every new believer, the first book any new believer should read is the book of Ephesians. I believe the, the first book any new believer ought to read. If you don't know where to go, I'm a new Christian, I'm born again, or maybe you're sitting here and said, you know what, I still haven't figured the thing out. Just go to Ephesians. Six chapters. Probably one of the most powerful books, revelation-wise, of your destiny, your purpose, your identity, your authority. And I love Ephesians because it's literally broken up into two halves. Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 deal with your identity. Deal with who you are. Deal with who you are. 
God always addresses identity before he addresses behavior. A lot of us behave the way we do because we're only living out of the identity that we've taken on. Whether it be from your childhood, whether it be from your parents, whether it be uh, 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 from society, whether it be something you've given to yourself, maybe it's even a denominational identity or a religious identity. Whatever it is, we all buy into some sort of identity. But identity comes first. When you go back to Adam and Eve, when when God created uh, uh, man in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the first thing he gave Adam wasn't a job to do. It was an identity of who he was. Your job and your assignment will always be at the mercy of your identity. Whatever your purpose is, whatever you're called to do will always remain at the mercy of your identity. I don't know what to do until I know who I am. Now, that's not what society will tell you. Society says, find out what to do, and then you'll discover who you are. That's why we ask people, so what do you do? That's one of the first questions we ask people. Why? Because now I can help identify you. So we allow all these these things that were never designed to give us our worth and our value uh, because worth and value doesn't come from assignment. It comes from identity. Now I'm addressing something here because Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 first covers your identity. Go through it. Read it. It's going to tell you that God has a plan for your life. It's going to tell you that you are uh, you rule and you reign, that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 help you discover who you are now in the kingdom of God. Because I don't know what to do until I first know who I am. But then Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6 begin to deal with, with the behaviors, begin to deal with the actions, begin to deal with the patterns, begin to deal with lifestyles, begin to deal with how I talk. He says things like put away uh, lying, put away deceit, put away malice, put away hatred, take on the new man. He starts telling you how to carry these things out. Ephesians chapter five tells you how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife. Ephesians chapter five tells you how to be a good boss, how to be a good employee. Ephesians chapter five, five tells you how to be a good parent and how to be a good child. And then he ends with put on the whole armor of God. Whatever you are called to do is first defined by your identity. And so in Ephesians chapter four, he starts to carry over here the beginning of walking out this new life in the kingdom. Verse 20, uh, read it in the New Living. It says this, But that isn't what you learned about Christ. He's talking about the old way of living. He's talking about the way that the Gentiles or the people in the world walk, the world that we're not supposed to conform to. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. Notice it's a former way of life but it's up to you whether you throw it off or keep it on. Are we living an old life? Are we living as someone that ought to be dead and should not even be existing anymore? 
I did a message one, con- one time called Dead Man Walking. Dead Man Walking. Why? Because that's literally what that is. A, a, a carnal Christian is a believer that lives like his former life. You talk the same. There's no differentiation. If you were standing in a lineup of of unbelievers, I could not pick you apart. You sound like them. You act like them. You look like them. You respond like them. Now, this isn't religious. We're not talking about legality and legalism and, oh, they're wearing that. Oh, they cut their hair. Uh, Plenty of people have taken it way too far. But it ought to be identifiable what kingdom you belong to. Shouldn't take me too long to find out what kingdom you belong to. And so it's the former self. We don't take up the former self. We throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit, here it is, renew your thoughts and your attitudes. The new King James says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The spirit of your mind. An unruled and uncontrolled thought life will never produce the way of God. It is impossible. It does not contain the ability to produce the way of God. So instead, let the spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, Renew your thoughts in attitudes. What's that? That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's that love, that joy, that peace, that patience, the goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Let those fruit of the Spirit now work. Again, all of the weight and all of the responsibility is on us. Nowhere in God's Word does He say, I will come and control your thoughts. I've heard uh, Christians pray that. God, give me thoughts. God, change my thoughts. God, change my thinking. And he's up in heaven saying, can't. You know, there's just some things God cannot do. Oh, I thought he could do everything. There's some things he cannot because he already spoke a word saying he would not. And you don't want a God that can just come down and alter your thinking. You want to be the one that says, God, I'm giving you my thoughts. I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my actions. Out of my own voluntary service and sacrifice to you, you don't have to force me because I'll do it on my own because you're that worthy. No, he he, he won't. He won't do it. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. It's a a freak of nature for a Christian to act like an unbeliever. It's unnatural. But how many of you know you can do something so long that even the unnatural becomes natural? Yeah. But it's unnatural for a believer to think like, act like, respond like the world. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So before I can address my actions, Ephesians 4 clearly outlines, I must first address my mindset. 
my mindset, my thinking, my thought life. Any issue you're dealing with on the external must be dealt with on the internal. You will never whip it on the outside, but you can control it, demolish it. You can bring it into alignment internally. But it's mine to manage. It's mine to manage. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Second Corinthians chapter 10. What you feed your thoughts will fuel your life. What you feed your thoughts will fuel your life. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. What's he saying? Fight the battle on the right level. Fight the battle on the correct level. Address the issue on the correct level. You know, sometimes we're fearful to do that. Even just naturally speaking. I've heard of people that they'll have symptoms in their body and they'll be afraid to go to the doctor. Number one, because they're afraid to find out what it might be. Number two, they don't want to endure the steps that it may take to cure the issue. I, I, I've seen plenty of people. I, I've, I've, I've known people. In fact, I know of one individual in, 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 uh, uh, specifically that passed away because he refused to discover where the issue really may be. I'm talking physically could have addressed it years before, done a little more digging, gone a little bit deeper, but rather he decided it was easier to maintain symptoms than really cure the the issue. But I've even seen people do this in their marriages. I've seen people do this in their parenting. I've seen people do this in their finances. That they've found it easier to cope with the symptoms than to cure the real issue. Sure. Everybody wants change and everybody wants relief and everybody wants uh, 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 the, the symptoms to go away. But not everyone wants to endure what it's really gonna take to correct it and alter it. So I can give you this and we'll be back here in a month. We'll be back here in three months. We'll be back here in six months. Or we can do this. It's a little more intrusive. It's a little more painful. It's gonna, be make, it's gonna make you a little more vulnerable. It's gonna bring some hurt. But if we'll go this route, we hopefully will never have to visit this again. And so when individuals come to that crossroads, many times they would rather cope with symptoms than cure the real issue. They, they, they find it easier to take the ibuprofen 
for the pain rather than have surgery that's causing the pain. Y'all with me? Y'all got me? I've seen it happen too many times. Too many times. But we don't wage war. We don't fight. We walk in the flesh, yes. But, what, but the result, uh, what, what is resulting in my flesh is being fueled by something. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war. Though I see it on the outside, I don't address it on the outside. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For what? Pulling down strongholds. This is the hope of this verse, that God already has an answer for whatever struggle you're in. That's the hope. But they're not carnal. That means I can't address the issue face to face. And you know what else? Most of us don't address issues until they become external, even though we've known for years internally it was going on. But it's real easy to deny an issue that nobody else sees. I'm reminded of Naaman in the Old Testament who had leprosy, but he was also a mighty general. And his king, And all of his soldiers and everybody he worked with, everybody he fought with, saw him as a mighty man of valor. But one night, as he was taking the armor off, his servant girl saw what was underneath, saw what he had been hiding, saw what nobody else saw, what was destroying him on the inside, but he wouldn't address it because It's not external enough. It's not evident enough. Nobody sees it. I'm telling you right now, the longer you wait to address an issue that you know is going on, the harder and greater it is to fix it later on. Don't wait until other people start to see signs of, are, are you going through something? Don't wait. When you see it on the inside, grab a hold of this verse and recognize, wait a minute, I've got weapons of warfare that are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. I've got a weapon to fight what nobody else sees. I've got a, God's got a way to deal with this struggle and nobody else has to call me on it. Nobody else has to challenge me. Nobody else has to have sympathy for me. I am going to fix this because God's got a way to fix it before anybody else has to deal with it. If I could encourage anybody that's newly getting married or or interested in getting married, that would be it right there. Go ahead and address the internal stuff because you're about to get into an environment where vulnerability goes to the roof. And now someone else is gonna see your junk. Fix it before somebody else has to address it. Yeah. And God has weapons of warfare. Yeah, it's war. It's war. 
We're not talking about, oh, I just need a little therapy session. I just need to talk to somebody. No, it's war. It's an all-out war. The devil has an all-out war, an APB out for you to say, get him off the planet. Take away their purpose. You got to fight back. Come on. Weapons of warfare, mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Verse five, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against what? The knowledge of God. Bringing every, let's say it together, thought into captivity. An unruled thought life will compromise your purpose and your destiny. An uncontrolled thought life. Captivity means you don't have free reign. Captivity means you can't just go where you want to go and do what you want to do. Think about being captive. Think about your life right now if you were being held captive. Liberties have been taken away. At the very least, if you want to do something, you have to ask and get permission. And that's if they give it to you. And he says, what? Bring your thought, your thoughts into captivity. Well, Pastor Mark, I just, I just have these thoughts. I don't, I don't know what to do with them. It tells you right here. <laughs> bring, bring the thought into captivity. But you know what we do with our thoughts? We feed them. You know what we do? We let them out and let them run around a little bit, get some fresh air. Come on now. What do we do? We get them a little bit stronger. Oh, you're looking a little weak there, thought. Uh, here, here's some weights. Why don't you go work out a little bit? Why don't you dwell on this? Why don't you hang on this? Why don't you think on this? And what are we doing? That thought life is going, dude, yes. I'm getting strong. I'm getting pumped up. Yeah. They're not in captivity. And this is the ironic thing, is if you don't take it, put your thoughts in captivity, they will put you in captivity. And you'll become bound in captive to the very thing that you're supposed to be bonding and captivating. Wow. What I do with my thoughts determines what my thoughts do to me. What I do with my thoughts determine what my thoughts do to me. I mean, I can tell you right now, a result of any action or any action, any lifestyle, any pattern is a result of a thought. Anytime I sit down with someone, the first thing I have to go to is them. And they hate that. They hate that. I get it. I've been in those conversations. I'm here to tell you about what they're doing. Don't tell me about what I'm doing. Don't tell me about how I'm responding. Don't tell me about what I'm thinking. Don't tell me about did I walk in love. I don't want to hear did I walk in love. They're talking about me. Well, you would have had a problem with Paul. You'd have a problem reading Corinthians, Galatians, 
Ephesians. He doesn't deny that they're being attacked. He doesn't deny that they're struggling. He doesn't deny that there's people out to get them. He doesn't deny that there's an enemy. He goes ahead and tells them, it's warfare. You're in war. That's exactly what's going on. You're not making it up. This is reality. But you can pull them down. You can captive, you can hold them captive. You can bind those thoughts. Or you can feed them, dwell on them, meditate on them to the point that they become so big and so strong that they begin to bind you. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. This is what you have, you, you, you have to recognize what's happening. When that thought comes in, when that thought begins to get planted in your, in your mind, it's not just coming to take you out. It's coming to question and challenge the authority of God. When you have a thought of talking back or talking about somebody that's talking about you, that thought is coming in and challenging and questioning the authority of God's word. Does the love of God really work? That's what it's doing. It's not even about you. The enemy is just using you to get to him. Yeah, it's challenging and questioning the authority of God. Well, maybe sickness isn't for, maybe healing isn't for me. Maybe I'm just, maybe God's trying to teach me something. It has nothing to do with you. The enemy is challenging and questioning the authority of God regarding sickness and disease. And you feed that thought. You Google that thought. Come on now. You find authors that align with what you're already believing. And that, that, that thought is working out, plumping up, getting fat. Then when it comes time to take it captive, it's too late. And then we wonder why our life is a result. We wonder why our life is revealing something. We wonder why our life is bearing these results. It's, it's going back to your thought life. Going back to your thought life. A mismanagement, an uncontrolled thought life is the greatest hindrance to the believer. No, it says to cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Not against you. You thought that thought was opposing you. You thought that thought was coming against you. That thought's coming against him. Bringing every thought into captivity. To what? The obedience of Christ. Boy, that's a sobering question. Do my thoughts obey Jesus? We've been asking all along, do I obey Jesus. But I've got to ask a deeper question. Do my thoughts even obey Jesus? I've never met one successful person 
someone that you could deem successful, someone that lives for God, pursues God, that allows their thought life to run amok. I've never met one. It's impossible. You can't find them. That individual does not exist on this planet. But I've found plenty of people when they finally got deep enough into the struggle, deep enough into the issue, that they would run it all the way back and they would say, well, it was just a thought. It would just keep coming and I would just keep pushing it aside. I would just try to not think about it. No, you didn't take it captive. Bind it up. Put it in a jail cell where it has to obey Christ. Where your thoughts have to obey Christ. What's that mean? That means their behavior, you're not just quitting the behavior. You're actually altering the behavior, changing it to produce the opposite result. So I once had a thought that wondered if healing was no more for today. But I altered that thought and I caused it and I forced it into captivity and caused it to obey Christ. Obey what his word. No, this is what the word says, thought. This is what the word says about that thought. And you lock it up and it can't come back out. And it's forced to align with what his word says. (laughs) Now I'm not just talking about pushing it off in the corner. I'm talking about altering behavior. That would be like, That would be like going to my son when he's disobedient or misbehaves and simply telling him, we don't do that. But then never making a demand for an altered behavior next time. It's one thing to just simply say, no, that's not right. It's another to say, this is right. And that's the step a lot of us don't take. And eventually, we begin to question over and over and over, well, maybe it is right. Then eventually, we get to, it is right, when it's wrong the whole time. The progression of our thoughts, the progression of how we enable and feed thoughts, thoughts, thoughts. The thought itself isn't the sin. And we've heard that for so long. I remember they they would preach that in the churches I grew up. Now the thought isn't the sin. The temptation isn't the sin. But they didn't teach me what to do with the thought either. And so the thought led me to sin. I didn't learn what to do with it. Oh, I'm not sinning yet. I haven't fallen into the temptation yet. But I'm not doing with it what I ought, and eventually it will overpower me. Eventually, it will hold me captive rather than me holding it captive. Take it into subjection. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish. Here's the next one. Punish the disobedience. When's the last time you punished a thought? 
Not punish yourself. When's the last time you punished the thought? Oh, I know. I'm giving you a lot of work to do. <laughs> we're going into 2020. You're thinking, oh, I thought we were going to have a good year, but it might take me all of 2020 just to figure out how to punish my thoughts. Thanks, Pastor Mark. Yeah. Maintaining your thought life ain't so easy, easy is it? Oh, but let me remind you. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 said, by the mercies of God. Meaning, he's the one that will empower you to do it. He's the one. If you don't rely on the Holy Spirit, you're doomed. Everything I'm saying to you today, your flesh is going. Right? You and I, let's just be honest, how many thoughts come into our mind on a daily basis? How many thoughts that are contrary to the word? And I'm not just talking sinful, addictive thoughts. I'm talking challenging thoughts like, I don't know if God's going to be able to do it this time. I don't know if I'm going to make it through this situation. I don't know if I'm going to find a car. I don't know how I'm going to get to work. I don't know how I'm going to be able to uh, uh, help my kids with this. How many thoughts come into our mind and then we just let them roam around? Like roaches, when it's the light's off, you turn the light on and boom, there they are. Right? You didn't even know they were there. I've just turned the light on for you. Like, oh, turn the light off, turn the light off, turn the light off. I don't want to see all that. They're there. It's time to fumigate. It's time to get them out. It's time to punish thoughts that don't align with the word of God. It's time to bring them into subjection because you are tired of being bound by your thought life. Tired of addressing the issue on the wrong level. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the enemy bringing thoughts into my life. Out of all the things that Jesus dominated over, out of all the things Jesus exercised full authority over, sickness and disease, demons crying out, walking on water, talking to fig trees, overcame the devil himself in Matthew chapter four, overcame death itself by rising again after three days. The one thing he never could exercise authority and dominion over was another's thought life. Couldn't do it. Couldn't touch it. If he could have, I'm sure he would have. There's a lot of Pharisees, a lot of Sadducees, a lot of religious leaders that had thought lives that were bound by another realm, bound by another territory, and they refused to bring them into subjection, refused to put them under captivity, and refused to punish them when they disobeyed. Absolutely. And their thought life caused them to kill Jesus himself. Their thought life. Who does this man think he is? That's blasphemy. You're not God. It's a big deal. What I do with my thoughts determines what they do to me. Matthew chapter 16. Show you an occurrence here. And then we'll wrap this up. Matthew chapter 16. You getting something today? 
We're going to bring our thoughts into subjection. We're going to bring our thoughts into captivity. They're not going to rule and reign anymore. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, just show you a quick little encounter here. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, scribes, and be killed and be raised to the third day. So he's identifying the thought life of those religious leaders that wanted to do away with Jesus. But here's the irony. This this is just interesting because there's somebody else in this verse that wanted to do away with the plan of Jesus and he's not mentioned in that list. He's actually talking to him. Maybe he didn't want to kill him. Maybe he didn't want to put him down. Maybe he didn't want to crucify him. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Verse 23, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. And here it is, for you are not, what? Mindful of the things of God, but the things of of men. In the Amplified, it reads this way. Do I have it? I thought I had it in the Amplified. In the Amplified, I don't have it here, but it states, you do not have your mind set on what God has his set on. In essence, your mind, your thoughts are not aligned with God's thoughts. Now, We've always read this and said, man, Jesus responded harshly to Peter. That's his friend. And all that Peter was doing was crying out in not wanting to lose Jesus. But he says, what? Get behind me, Satan. He's not talking to Peter. He's talking to the thought. That is how you punish thoughts and bring them into subjection to Christ. Punish the thoughts. He punished the thought. I said he punished the thought. You know why? Because Jesus could take that thought and say, man, I don't want to go either. Well, man, if, If he cares for me that much, I don't want to endure everything I just said. In fact, the people that he just mentioned in the verse before, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and they would mock him, kill him. They were actually helping fulfill the plan of God. But Peter didn't just bring a statement. 
he presented a thought to Jesus that if Jesus allows himself to dwell on that, if Jesus allows that thought to run around free, but no, he said, I'm gonna bring this thought into captivity. I'm gonna bring this thought to the subjection of the Father. And Peter, you are not mindful of the things that my Father is mindful of. So we're punishing that. Get behind me, Satan. The word Satan means adversary. It means stumbling block. It means obstruction. And it means you're not coming against me, Peter. I'm not taking this personal, but you are coming against the plan of God. It's not personal, but it is purposeful. And you're coming against the plan that God has for my life. So get behind me. I'm punishing that thought. I'm putting it into captivity and I will punish it the next time it rises up in disobedience to Christ. He's telling you, he's showing you right there. What do you do? He didn't wait around. He didn't pull him aside saying, now Peter, 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 Peter. I'm with you, man. I, I, I get it. But hey, I, I got to do this. No, he, he dealt harshly. Harshly. Some of y'all are going to look silly in the next few days in your car talking to your thoughts Excuse me, I've got to go to the restroom. And you're in the restroom taking care of thoughts, punishing. Now you listen to me. Get behind me. You okay? Yeah, I'm just punishing my thoughts. I'm just putting them into captivity. It tried to get out, but I put it back in there. It tried to exalt itself, but I brought it back down. I subjected it to the obedience of Christ. I'm good. I'm good. In fact, you better be glad that I was doing that because that thought was about you and you want me to, you don't want me to dwell on that thought. You want me to carry out that thought, we ain't good. But now I've got love, joy, peace, patience. I put it into subjection. Anybody gonna put your thoughts into subjection? Look at Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four, worship team, if you'd come. Philippians chapter four. I want to read this to you in the New King James. I want to start with verse, uh, y'all know verse four and six. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God, we understand all that. Verse eight, look at verse eight. Finally, brethren, that's you and I, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate. That word meditate means to think on or to dwell on. It's literally the word chew. Chew. Over and over and over and over. Keep it in front of you. Don't let these things depart from your mind. Don't let these things depart. Think on these things. And these things which you have learned and received and heard and saw. These things which you have learned, received, heard, and saw in me these do but if I don't address the thinking 
can't address the do. If I don't address the thought, I cannot address the action. Think on these things. You cannot expect to produce something in your life that you haven't first dwelt on in your mind. But on the flip side, sometimes we spend so much time dwelling on, thinking on, focusing on. In Colossians chapter three, Paul wrote and he said, set your mind on things above where God is, not on the earth. I've got to change the location of my thinking. I've got to change the environment of my thinking. There's a source to the symptom. You might say, well, I need, I need healing in my mind. You do. We need our minds to be healed. We need our minds to be cleansed. It's one thing to obtain a thought but it's another to maintain the thought. And I believe God can do a wonderful, amazing, miraculous work in healing in your life. But from there, will you maintain guard over your thoughts? Will you maintain guard? Will you stand guard over your thoughts? Will you maintain that jail cell? will you neglect it and abandon it and they'll be allowed to come and go as they please and they'll be allowed to go in whatever room they want but will you stand guard and say no get back in there and punish it and teach it the right thinking go the step further do the work and I promise you you'll see the result Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.